Hey there, folks. Welcome back to Pretend Worlds Real People. As always, I'm Tyler, and a quick disclaimer for all of my listeners out there. This interview was actually conducted before the strike on July 13th. So anything that's mentioned in this episode was done before the strike actually occurred. So uh, yeah, just please be advised. Now that that is out of the way, I want to say welcome back. We took a week off trying to learn everything about the strike and figure out what's going on. But now that we have a, a pretty firm stance of what we can and can't talk about as we are all in solidarity, me and myself, especially as a member of SAG, uh, feel a lot better about just releasing the episodes that have been recorded before the strike actually happened. Now, I want to get right into introducing this week's guest because this is someone that I've loved for years. We always have a lot of fun when we're around each other, and uh, I just never had a chance to really learn more about them outside of the casting office uh, because this week's guest is actually a casting director here in Denver, Colorado. Not only that, she's also an actress and a mother and just an overall amazing human being. I, of course, am talking about the wonderful Shauna Earp Ballinger. Uh, we talk so much about her her early years, you know, her upbringing, getting into the business, and, you know, how she got to where she is now. But there is so much more that I want to ask her about and talk to her about, and surprisingly, an hour just wasn't enough. I need more episodes with her, and hopefully we will have her back in the future. So, without further ado, please, everybody, help me in welcoming... The amazing Shauna Earp Ballinger. Um, so hi, I'm Shauna. Um, I do too many things. Um, so here in the Denver market, I'm mostly a casting director for film and television and an actor for stage. And then in other markets, I'm an actor for film and television and nothing really for stage. Why not? Is that for lack of trying or? or no, what? no, it's, it's because, um, you know, when you're doing a theatrical production, it takes a chunk of time and I'm a mom. And so I, um, don't want to take that kind of time away from my little guy because I get him for this much time in a life of this much time. So it's, it's, I mean, I get 18 summers. And That's so I'm raining. going to, yeah, I'm going to soak up as much of those months as I possibly can. And, and, and I get 18 school years and I'm going to soak up as much of those no, 12 school years. Sorry, math went really wrong. <laughs> That's why I'm an actor. Um, but uh, I, yeah, 12 school years and 18 summers. And I mean, basically until he flies off and starts spreading his big, beautiful wings. And so I'm, I, I, I have, I had uh, a lot of fun before he was born. I'm going to have a lot of fun after he goes off to college with the theater world. But right now I'm going to keep my theater world smaller. I'm going to do like one to two plays a year and my script prov show that I have that I love. Do you know about script prov? I, so I keep seeing all of your posts. And I, I want to go because I love, I love improv and I love doing improv. So I didn't know we had anything like that locally that wasn't, you know, a franchise sort of project. 
No, so this is a project that we created. Um, a group of of gals and I. We started off. We started off interestingly enough as a, as a totally different show. It was called Unscripted, and we there were a bunch of us that were were writing our own material, and so we wanted a venue to put that material out there. So we did the first act was all original material written by us, and the second act was just long form improv. So that was kind of going around. We did that for a couple of years, I think, over at the Avenue Theater. And then we, uh, we got this idea that we wanted to marry the two somehow. We wanted to marry um, scripted material and improv together. So we created this show called Scriptprov. And our first show was January of 2010 over at the Vintage Theater. I was out to here pregnant with PAX. I mean, I was... a walking parade float um, with with Pax and Mabele. And <laughs> that was our very first show of Scriptprov. And we've been doing it ever since. We do it, you know, at, at least once a quarter, sometimes more, sometimes less during the pandemic, obviously it was loose. Um, but yeah, it's, and we, so the first half is we take a, a scripted scene, like a, uh, a, a known prob more than likely scripted scene and we perform it full out like directed propped wardrobe memorized rehearsed everything and we do it full out and then um, at the end of the scene one of the actors steps off stage and an improviser steps onto stage and we do the scene over again. And the person who was in the scene originally stays on stays on book. Like they cannot change the lines. They can change the intention. They can change the delivery, but they cannot change the words. And the improviser has no idea what's going on because let's face it, a lot of improvisers don't enjoy theater productions. <laughs> they, you know, they don't go see shows. So they truly have no idea what's going on. And they step in and they, it goes, crazy pants it goes all over the place it's hilarious it is so much fun so that's the first act and then the second act the actors who were involved in the scene cold read a monologue and then the improvisers take the information from the cold read and then do long form improv from there it's awesome that is so much more than i thought it would be and mm -hmm. uh, i when are you guys having this? I want to try and release this episode sooner uh, oh. for the podcast. So when's your next show? So going to take ironically, um, the next show is actually in Durango. We're doing a, a script oh. prod in Durango on the 28th and 29th um, of July. Um, and then I don't know when our next Denver show is. It's always at the Avenue. I mean, we're at the... Um, Oh my goodness. It's always at Miner's Alley Theater. So Miner's Alley adopted us several years ago and they're like, we're not letting you go. You you guys are here now. <laughs> we're like, okay. And we love it over there. Lynn and Lisa are just amazing. So we do shows like once a quarter. We just had one couple, uh, about a month ago at, at um, Miner's. I got to do one of my favorite pieces. Which one? Now I got to know. Uh, Savage in Limbo. Is that a dramatic, dramatic scene or is that a comedic it's scene? Dramedy. It's dramedy. Yeah, it's dramedy. <laughs> it has some drama, it has some comedy. It's fun. It, but I love Shanley's writing. Like I'm a huge 
Shanley fan. And I know everybody's like, those pieces are so dated, but I still think they hold up. I really do. I think they're so brilliant. I, I love, love his writing. So it's just raw. It's raw, 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 raw. Well, let, let's let's touch on that because I, I want to know what what got you into this crazy business to begin with. I mean, how does okay. <laughs> I okay. fell into it? I, I it was just something that happened. But like, I don't know what 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 happened. What I happened was your- five years old. I was in kindergarten and um, they were going to do a circus. Uh, they were going to have a little kindergarten performance of a circus on stage in my elementary school. And the only costume my mom had access to was a donkey. So um, I was a donkey in the circus. Now, why there was a donkey in the circus, I don't know. But I was a donkey in the circus. And I got up on that stage and I bucked and I brayed and I hee hawed and <laughs> I did all the things. And I fell in love absolutely fell in love like the the experience of being up there the joy of being up there the joy of becoming a character and doing something physical and 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 all of that and then the response from the audience all of it just got into the fibers of my being and i was done i was done at that moment i was like yep this is it this is this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And that's what I've been doing. So after, I mean, after that, I can only imagine you're you're doing that through school. Because mm-hmm. I saw you, you worked in New York City. Yeah. Was that right out of school? You just went to, went to the city? So, and- so I went from um, elementary school, junior high, high school, all that kind of good stuff. And when I was in high school, I was recruited for some theater programs. And there was one theater program that at the time it was actually ranked in the top five in the nation. And um, I got recruited by them and auditioned for that. And I fell in love with it. This was at the College of Santa Fe down in New Mexico. And I spent four years in that university just soaking up as much as I possibly could soaking up not as much as I should have um because you know it's college and you're young and dumb and you do stupid things um but yeah <laughs> like what so, <laughs> everyone around the president I can't say any of this out loud um but you know we yeah I did the four years there and had my mentor Mary Sue Jones and my other mentor Philip Chapman and some of the most remarkable theater people I've ha- I got the chance to work like I worked with Donna McKechnie. Um, I got to work with um, uh, Martin Gottfried. I got to work with some amazing, beautiful, beautiful people. And um, we actually we actually opened the Garson Studios while I was there. Like we broke ground on Garson Studios. We were some of the first students in there. We were some of the first productions in there. That's where we shot Young Guns too. That's where we shot City Slickers. You know, we did all of that right there at Garson Studios, the Milagro Beanfield War, all of those things. Um, And so right after that, I spent one year back at home winning karaoke contests to um, make enough money to buy a one-way ticket to New York City 
And so I did, I bought a, I circled a date on the calendar. I said, this is the day I will leave. I bought a one-way ticket. I had no job. I had no place to live. I knew nobody there, but I had $500 and three suitcases and a one-way plane ticket. And I went and I lived there for 13 years. <laughs> if there is never, um, you know, a, a movie based off of your summer or your year, <laughs> winning karaoke contests to save up money i don't know where hollywood's gonna go because <laughs> it sounds awesome <laughs> yeah. it was it was it was really silly yeah how long did it take you to to find your footing i mean it's one thing to go to new york city to do anything but as a performer you know that has to been had to have been not hard but maybe a little bit daunting so i was young and dumb i mean i was uh, i i was fearless i was absolutely just ridiculous. And so um, I don't know that I ever found my footing as a performer there as much as I would have loved to. There were um, definitely some bumps in the road. And I'll tell you about that in a minute. But, you know, like, I just got there. Um, I had an aunt who had a friend who had a daughter who lived in New York. And so she gave me her phone number. And so I landed at the airport. And I was like, Hi, can I come stay with you? And so she said, sure. So, and this was back in the early nineties. This was when uh, the Dinkins administration was going on. New York was a far different place than it is now. Um, and so I went and I lived in her place on Eldridge street down in alphabet city um, for about two weeks. And uh First day, first night there, I went down to a noodle shop. I got some noodles and I got a six pack of Heineken and I got, grabbed my tap shoes and I went up to the roof and I just sat there by myself looking at the moon and listening to the sounds of the city and tap dancing and drinking my Heineken and eating my noodles and having myself a good time. Um, and then the next day I decided to go out and get lost in the city. And that's what I did. I got completely lost and learned how to figure out the city, navigate it by knowing where the buildings were and which way was up and which way was down and which way was east and which way was west and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I knew that FAO Schwarz was there. And so I decided that's where I wanted to have my job was at FAO Schwarz. So I went to FAO Schwarz every day for two weeks um, saying, I want a job. And they were like, there's nothing here. They wouldn't have anything. And I was like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. And so I did. I did it every day for two weeks until finally they were like, okay, <laughs> we have something for you. Please <laughs> stop. And so I became the hologram princess at <laughs> So I worked in the hologram shop and was the hologram princess for, yeah. At FAO Schwartz, that was my first really New York job. It was hilarious. How, That's how where I met Trini Alvarado, and she was so lovely. I loved really? her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How how long did you keep that that job? About a year, almost maybe two, something oh, like that. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I was there. I was a princess. <laughs> yeah, I was a hologram princess. I was wearing, and it was so funny. My outfit was hilarious. You remember? Um, in I think it was was it Back to the Future two or three that hologram hat that Michael J. Fox wore that Alex <laughs> wore that's what I wore every day. Really? Yeah, it was. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. So 
<laughs> I'm just picturing it at Fair Schwartz. <laughs> walking in. Hey, guys. I got them to break in two weeks. <laughs> two weeks. Every day. Boop, boop, boop. Hi. Hi, Amy. Fine. We'll give you a job. Just go put this on and stand over there. <laughs> just just go go annoy customers and not us anymore, please. Yeah. That was so, pretty much it. During your, your tenure there, you know, you, you picked up your job. You got used to navigating New York City. When did you really start to uh, kind of reach out to like the local theater groups and try to find, you know, maybe some not representation, but just some work as as a performer? Yeah. So the first um, I. I uh, OK, so <laughs> there is a lot th to this. So uh, I, I got I got hooked up with the New York Performance Alliance, New York Performance Works. Um, with Richard Scanlon and Andrew Tiernan and all those guys. And that's where I met Ernest Abuba and Michael Lambert and just some amazing freaking people. Um, and so I was with them for a while um, doing classes and doing little projects and doing shows. And that's where I got to do King Lear with Ernest Abuba over at La Mama and all of that kind of good stuff. And just had a had a great time with them. Um, I uh, unfortunately, not too long after I got to New York, um, I was doing Annie Get Your Gun, and um, I met a the drummer in the orchestra pit, and oh god, this is going to turn into a sad story. Uh oh, uh oh. So yeah, I met the drummer in the orchestra pit and unfortunately he looked a lot like Antonio Banderas and I got sweeped, swept, swept, swept? off my feet a little <laughs> too much and um, and that turned into a really unfortunate circumstance. Uh, for about eight years, I was taken out of the market um, due to uh, an abusive situation. It was physically, mentally, emotionally, all of the things abusive. And so that took me out of my prime years um, for, for that. But the good news is before that, I forgot this story. <laughs> this is a crazy story. This is a nutty, nutty story. Okay. So my first like big film job in New York was insane. Absolutely insane. Um, so I, one night, I went out with a group of friends and we went and had a really good time out. Like we, we might've had a few cocktails, mm -hmm. like a couple, few. Like maybe a few more than I should have, we'll say. And um, we went to this, it was this place called Denim and Diamonds. I don't know. It was stupid. So we went out to this, I know. So we went out to this place and we went dancing and drinking and all this kind of stuff. And at some point, someone put me in a cab and sent me back to uh, where I was living at the time. And during the cab ride, I don't know when or how or anything, apparently the contents of my bag fell all over the back seat of the, the cab. And I stumbled out of it, went upstairs and fell asleep. And the next day I get a call from FEO Schwarz saying, hey, um, someone's trying to get in touch with you because they found the contents of your bag all over the back seat and they saw your work ID from FAO Schwarz and they just want to return all the stuff to you. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is so kind. Yay. Please give me their information. <clears throat> so I called the gentleman back 
And um, I, I say, I'd love to come by. And they said, please come by and, and pick up your stuff. We would love to meet you, yada, yada, yada. And so he gave me the address to where I was going. Now, mind you, I wasn't, I hadn't been in New York that long. And uh, so I did, I wasn't familiar with the address of one Times Square. But that was the address was one Times Square. And I was like, okay. So um, I went I on my way. I got a bouquet of flowers just to say thank you. And I get to one Times Square and I push the button to the floor that he told me to go to. And I get off and it says Paramount Pictures. And I was like, what? What? <laughs> so I go inside and the woman says, oh, yes, you're Shauna. I'll get it. See, I'll be right back. Bah, 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 bah. So she goes down the hall and she goes, it's you'll be out to get you in just a moment. So I met this man whose name was Itzy Atkins. He was the production manager for the film Sliver, um, starring Sharon Stone and yeah, all those guys. And so we got to talking, I gave him the bouquet of flowers and we got to talking and laughing and chatting and blah, 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 blah. And he was like, please work for me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I was like his little assistant on the film Sliver. And that was my first film in New York and it was freaking awesome. And I loved every minute and I got to go on set and I got to meet Bernie Stiles and I got to meet all these great, Ed Koch. I got to, I mean, Howard Koch Jr. And I got to go to Saturday night live parties and mm -hmm. I know it was insane. It was awesome. Like I got to meet the cast of Saturday night live, like the heyday cast with um, Adam Sandler and Chris Farley and all those guys. I was there the night that Joe Pesci was on with Robert De Niro and all, yeah, it was, it was flipping amazing. It was flipping amazing. And like Chris Farley was so kind, like anytime I would run into him somewhere or see him somewhere, he always remembered me. Nobody else remembered me. I was a nobody, but he always remembered me and he always gave me a hug. And it, that meant absolutely everything in the world to me. Yeah, he was the nicest, funniest guy on the planet. But oh, so wow! Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I can mentally recover from that story. Because um, <laughs> usually it's like, oh, it's, it's probably you know a, somebody that's associated with the production company, or you know, it's 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 the, maybe the front desk person or something. Never the right. production manager, and never yeah. would. I mean, obviously he hired you. Like I know you, and it, it, it's like, oh well, she's trustworthy. We we got it. We're good. So yeah, I, I wow. had a great time. Yeah, it was a fun. It was a really fun project. It was so really, that was really just fun. that you just worked on that, and then were you like, I'm going to move on to, to to something else? And I just worked on that, and then that's when I got into Annie. Get your gun was after that, and okay. so okay. Yeah, I mean, oh. Oh, the regrets I have for that, because there was there was such a momentum that was building at that point, because <clears throat> Itzy, who is just a, a wonderful, sweet man, was trying to introduce me to people and doing all this stuff. And he was like, let's get you going. And then I allowed myself to get caught into a situation that was not pleasant. Um, so but, you know, I, I, here's the thing is that uh, all the steps 
of my life have led me to right here. And so I'm happy where I am. And yeah, maybe I could have been Jennifer, Jennifer Aniston, but you know, that's a whole other story. See, but you, ha- you have that experience to look back on and, and share with your family, you know, yeah. that it's such a, a weird coincidental, like just mark of fate that the person that yeah. wants to do that and get your stuff back to you is somebody of that, like that was- status. You know, so bizarre. And, but it was such a great experience and we had such a good time. And yeah, it was awesome. But then after the eight years, and um, I decided to lose 165 pounds in one night. (laughs) Um, I, uh, I wound up, you know, starting to kind of get back on track. And um, it was another kind of fun little coincidence. So um, during the, the time that I was in New York, I was also a magician's assistant. Yeah. You're just, are you just, you're just pulling stuff out out of nowhere. <laughs> so I was a magician's assistant for this gentleman by the name of John Peasy. Love this man. Great human being. Freaking hilarious. He's a magician, a stand up comedian, a ventriloquist. He does all the things. He's really funny. He also owns a company in in New Jersey that um, books talent out to like all the events in Vegas and all. Anyway, so he's a great guy. So I was, I was his assistant for a long, long, long time. And mostly it's because I'm very bendy and small. And so, so I fit into all the little places. Um, so uh, he and I became really good friends as a result. And one night, um, he was like, he was invited to Soupy Sales's seventieth birthday party at the Friars Club. And so, his wife didn't want to go. And so he asked if I would go. And I was like, Well, yeah. <laughs> yes please um and so he took me to soupy sales's birthday party at the friars club and i just started um talking to everybody and just chatting with everybody and meeting everybody i mean like just i was hanging out with pat cooper i was hanging out with al roker i mean i was hanging out with everybody having a freaking blast and um, I made so many nice connections that night that they started asking me to come back to the Friars Club. So even though I was not an official member, I was an official guest. So I went, started going to the Friars Club like all the time and hanging out. And I met like Don Buckwald and I met Marty Fisher and Jackie Green and all these guys. And I started hanging out and I was sitting at their table instead of like, um, I, I, they're, they're, the tables, like sometimes like there's a, there, the tables usually have like little groups of people, little clickies. And so yeah, like yeah. a lot of the entertainers would sit over here, but then all the like agents and managers and stuff like that would sit over here. And so I was always sitting at the agents and managers tables and talking to them and listening to them and sharing with them and laughing and having ourselves a good time and all that kind of stuff. So I started learning a shit ton from them. Like listening to Don Buckwald and listening to Jackie and Marty and everybody. That's how I started getting the information for how to be on the other side of the desk, which is what led me to towards casting and all of that good stuff. So I got like free training. (laughs) 
<laughs> with these guys. And while they were buying me dinner and drinks, it was great. It was awesome. And one day I was uh, hanging out with Marty and he had me start working for him because I helped him out with a submission. And this was back in the days when you had the FedEx submissions or courier submissions. And so he, he had me filling in the envelopes and I knew that I, anyway, that's a long story. So anyway, that's how I started working on that side of the desk was because Marty was like, Nope, you're going to work for me now. And so I did. <laughs> and then this two things happened. Um, one, I met this uh, green eyed Kansas boy who was really nice and the opposite of the other person. Um, and so, uh, he asked me to marry him and I said, okay. And we decided to come out to, to Denver and all that good stuff. And so I came out here, got an agent and I started talking to that agent and they were like, well, would you like to run the office for me? And so I was like, okay. So I started working at an agency here in Denver. Um, that was with Peter. <clears throat> at Big was with Peter. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Okay. So I started working at Big Fish. He was doing his right to act and I was running the office and doing all the submissions. And so I did that for a couple of years. Then I got knocked up um, <laughs> and decided to make a whole other human being. And then um, after that, I, <clears throat> after Pax was, <clears throat> was born, it was about, he was about a year and a half, two years old. Um, I got a call from a producer <clears throat> I'd worked with a lot named Sarah, Sarah Lyles. And she was at, uh, she runs futuristic films here. And so she was like, Hey, I'm casting this thing and we need a comedian. And I know that you've worked with comedians and cause I've taught comedians how to transition from doing stand up to doing commercial and film and television work. Like I used to instruct, do one-on-one -on -one instruction with comedians <clears throat> she was like, so I know you know that world and that language and all that kind of stuff. Would you come in and help cast this and start working with comedians on this? And I was like, yeah. So I did a good job. And so she asked me to come back and do another job and another job and another job. And then one day I get a call from Annie Hamilton and here. Oh, so I get this call from Annie and I'm thinking she's going to tell me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> Like a, like a death I, threat. Like I know. And I was like, I was terrified. I mean, I had the flop sweat so bad. She was like, let's go have lunch. I want to talk to you about some things and all this kind of sweetest can be. And I'm assuming the absolute worst because you know, that's where our brains go. And so instead we sit there and we meet at this lunch place and she's like, no, I want to partner with you. You're doing great work. And I was like, uh, uh, okay. And so we started working together. And so, yeah. And then, yeah. So I think that's where we are now. Yeah. Uh, did I ramble? I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Because you you answered like five or six different questions I had going into this. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, what about this? And then each time I was thinking about like, because you're you're always internally like trying to, to pivot right. to the next question you could ask. I'm like, okay, well, like. Colorado. <laughs> there. <Hamilton. laughs> and I will say, um, uh, going back to what we were talking about before we started recording, uh, the first in-person callback I had, 
here in Denver was uh, for the project you and Annie were casting for. And that was the first time I had ever met her. Uh, I think a lot of actors in Denver feel the same way where like, we, we'd never see Annie Hamilton. Is, is Annie Hamilton real? Is it Shauna? <laughs> is it like, is this a usual suspect scenario? Like what's going on? Um, I am Kaiser Sose. You are Kaiser Sose. But you guys are the most welcoming and warming oh. team when it comes to casting. Because, uh, I mean, you can agree. It's it's daunting for any actor to go in for an audition, much less one that maybe is like just now starting out. So it's, it's, it's just really awful. cool. Yeah. Uh, auditioning sucks. It does. It's awful. It is awful, 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 awful. Um, I So, yeah. Um so there are two things about auditioning uh, and casting. So the first thing is that I think I approach casting from a different perspective because I have been in your shoes, you know, and I'm still in your shoes because I'm auditioning for things outside of this market. I don't audition for things I cast unless the director is like, no, specifically, I want to see you do this. But it, unless, otherwise, I don't audition for things that I cast. So I don't get to do a lot of television film stuff here, um, unless Sylvia is casting it, um, which who I just adore her too. Love She's Sylvia. so lovely. Um, <laughs> I know it's, it's so nice to be in a community where everybody like really likes each other. But um, so I know how flipping hard, how nerve wracking, how just uh, auditioning can be. So I try to my goal as a casting person is to make you feel amazing when you walk into the room. I know that's not the way it used to be. I know I experienced the next of it all. You know, I did. I, I remember being in, in, in New York and going on auditions and just feeling like those people hated me and could not give a rat's pucker about me. And it was, it was awful. And so when I started doing it, I, that was my big vow. I was like, I want to change the way we audition people. I want to change the casting experience. I want for it to be the opposite of what it's been to be something that maybe people could actually look forward to doing. And so that was my big mission when I got here and my big mission when I was casting for Sarah and then when I was casting um, freelancing and then especially when I was started casting with Annie, it was like, we're going to change this whole thing. Mm. And <clears throat> so that's been my goal because who does it serve to be an asshole? Yeah. It, it only serves the asshole. It doesn't serve anybody else. It doesn't serve the actor. It doesn't serve the director. It doesn't serve production. It serves nobody but the ego of the asshole. So it's not a, from a, from a business perspective, it doesn't make an ounce of sense. From a personal perspective, it doesn't make an ounce of sense. So that's why I was like, this has to stop. This just has to stop. Because as an actor, when you feel great, you are, feel free to deliver on what you are there to deliver. You feel supported, you feel encouraged, you feel loved. And that makes that process, hopefully, a lot easier and a lot more, um, a, a little more comfortable, hopefully, you know. But then 
what happens is when you do better, then it makes our office look better because we have so many amazing choices for the director to go through and, and all of that kind of good stuff. Um, another thing is that from the actor perspective, I remember one time I was going to this audition and I was flipping nervous and I was freaking out and I had the sweats and I was like green and just like every five seconds, you know, the whole thing. And I was riding up to an elevator going up to the rehearsal studio in New York um, where the audition was happening. And I was in the elevator with this lovely gentleman and he looked at me and he was like, oh, oh, girl, you are you are in on the struggle bus. And I was like, yeah, pretty much. I am on the struggle bus right now. And he goes, stop, just stop. He goes, this is not an audition. And I was like, yes, it is. I got the signs right here. And he was like, no, no, no. This is a mini performance. And I was like, oh, my God what a game changer in perspective. He was like, what do you love to do? And I was like, I love to perform. Why are you in this? I love to perform. I want to be in this to perform. That is the whole thing. You know, we all get in this to create those characters and to have those moments and to, to feel that connection with another, <clears throat> with another person and, and all of that stuff. And he was like, so approach it that way. Stop looking at it as an audition and start looking at it as a full performance. This is a three-minute performance that you get to give today in front of an audience. The audience might be three people and a camera. Uh, it might be a room full of production sitting there behind a table eating sandwiches. Who knows? But you're still giving a performance. So do the work. Do the work of, of, of creating the character, breaking down the script, breaking down the role, knowing your moment before your moment, doing all of that work so that when you go in to deliver that performance, you are there to perform and that's it. And you are not worrying about Will I get this role? You're not worrying about, do they like me? It's none of that bullshit. It's just, I am going to perform now. I am going to do this. And you deliver that and it makes a major difference. It is a game changer in perspective. I'll never forget that, that sweet man doing that. And I will thank him for the rest of my life. I have no idea what his name is. <laughs> I was trying to didn't end with, and that was Lauren Michaels of Saturday Night Live. Yes, yes, and that was, um, that, yes, no, no. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's funny. I've spoken to almost 200 people on the show, and most of them have, as far as performers go, have a story similar to that where they just, they need to hear it from somebody outside of their family, outside of the industry, uh, just to say, this is your chance to deliver something to them not right. to sell them on something right and it is the energy that you guys bring into the the casting office every single time you know when it comes to just like you greeting actors at the door it's not a okay sign in and write down your agency okay we'll call you when it's ready no it's it's very upbeat and and lively so that is that is a ton of fun i do want to see when it comes to you know the casting side that you have really like built a a career in and kind of supplemented you're acting with that part of the uh, the business as well. How has that affected how you go into auditions and how you oh. you know conduct yourself now? Has that changed at all since you started uh, casting? I, I would love to say it has changed it dramatically, <laughs> but I'm a schmuck. Um, <laughs> so it has it has affected. So there's 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 that's a it's a really great question. Um, so. 
what has happened is I fully prepare and I fully know what needs to be done and all of that stuff. But I still get into the room and I still feel feel like that five-year-old or that nine-year-old. And I, it, it's just, it's just something that is so ingrained in there. And I still get nervous and I still talk too much and maybe say something completely inappropriate and, and people, and I'm, I'm one of those people, I'm a lot. And I know that, and people are either going to love me or hate me. And that's just all there is to it. There is no in between. So <clears throat> they're either going to love the mess that walks in, or they're going to hate the mess that walks in. And I have to own that and be authentic with that. But I try to not say as many stupid things <laughs> as I used to. And I try to you know, um, be, be my authentic self, but in a way that is not quite as off-putting, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I mean, it does definitely change my perspective. You know, um, there are a few things that I've known, um, that I, I, I still carry with me, like that whole thing of just be nice, just be fucking nice. Sorry. I used an F-bomb. I'm sorry. Is that? Oh, this, yeah, you can, you can say fuck shit as, okay. as much as you want. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's the main thing is just be a nice person and don't just be a nice person to the people in the room, like be a nice person the whole way through to the other actors in the room, to the person signing you in to all of that stuff. Just be a nice person. That's all. And so that's something that has, I was taught at an early age and in early in this pro in the, my, my career and I've carried that. So that, that has not changed. Um, but yeah, some uh, there, it is nice to know some do's and don'ts. Um, I've even created a 42 point little list of do's and don'ts for specifically for self-taping. I need to get it out there somewhere. I don't, I don't, haven't quite figured out where to put that, but yeah, uh, <laughs> some do's and don'ts and of casting and, and self-taping and all of that kind of stuff. But the, yeah, I, so the yeah. answer is yes, it has changed me. Not as much as I would probably... <laughs> <laughs> you're not this t1000 like totally cold as you're walking in which i think a lot of people are going to appreciate because I, I think a lot of people who are listening to this episode in particular are going to be folks who work in our market yeah are probably auditioned for you for for years and i will say a lot of us uh hamilton casting is like the great white whale like i haven't booked anything from hamilton as i've been an actor but I'm always so excited to send in a tape because I know what you guys do. I know like where you guys are coming from. It's not like you're sending it to, I won't name names, but you know, other casting offices where it's like, they're, they're, they're just going to throw it away. They're not, there is, there is a, a sense of feedback and a sense of camaraderie there. That's different. So uh, I mean, you just shared so much um, advice that you kind of absorbed in your experience in your career and stuff that you've kind of just held on to personally. But when it comes to, let's say just performers in the Denver market right now, you know, they're not union. They're just trying to, to start something and, and really build something for themselves in a state where we have yet to build tax incentives for film. Um, freaking they. I don't get it. <laughs> we could film star Wars in the sand dunes, but okay. I'm going to get, right? I'm going to get oh. hot. <laughs> I'm going to get so hot talking about this. Um, but what, what's, what's something is advice wise you could pass on to them, uh, you know, a local performer who's trying okay. to build their career or stay into it. 
Okay, so there's a lot. Um, the the first thing, and I know everybody is going to say this, but it is the absolute truth. Your marketing materials need to be representative of who you are, flat out. And that's the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, all of the in between. I I don't. The worst thing is getting a headshot of somebody that doesn't look like who they are. And yes, I look at every headshot and. For your information, I read resumes. I don't know if all casting directors do, but I read your freaking resume. Have it on your site, have it on casting networks, have it on Actors Access. I know it's tedious, I know it's a pain in the ass, but just do it because I look at it. I read the things. I need to know how much experience you have, what kind of experience you have. If I'm looking for something very specific, I need to know that you can deliver on those fronts. And the first place I look is on your resume because here, the truth of it is, we have a really broad market here and it's great. There are 463 kabillion people trying to be actors in Denver right now. There are eight agencies in town. And all eight agencies have very full rosters. And the, the, the spectrum of talent is enormous from people who are, are very, very green to people who are constantly working. Um, and I'm not talking about just working on stuff here. I'm talking about, you know, people like Laurel Harris, Marty, um, uh, oh my God, why can't I, um, Marty Lindsay, Marty Lindsay. Oh my yes, God. Yes, yes. Okay. What do you say? Marty Fisher, Marty Lindsay, Amy McKenzie. Oh my God. That woman is on fire. Brian Landis Fulkins. I mean, these are people that work a lot and they are in this market and they are auditioning for the same parts as the people who are just starting out. But that doesn't mean that they always get those parts a lot of the people who are just starting out are booking them too. So it doesn't matter where you are in your career. It does not matter what where, where you're coming from or what platform, are you launching from here now or have you reached the next platform? It doesn't matter, okay? I'm We're considering everybody as equally as we possibly can. My big push right now is for equitable casting. 100%. I am equitable casting needs to just be period. No ifs, ands, or buts. Yeah. It needs to be. And that that is across the board for um, ethnicity, age, body type, gender identity, all of the above. It needs to be equitable casting. Okay. So I'm, I'm one of those people that I like to push the envelopes. And I'm so glad that Annie is on board with me pushing envelopes and she likes to push some envelopes too. And we will all the, all the time, we submit people for projects that are a little outside of the specs that we've been given. Um, unfortunately, you know, a lot of times our hands are tied by production, by the director, by the ad company, whoever it is. And so, but we do our best to make it as equitable as possible. Um, so don't hold back when you're auditioning if you are a newcomer, don't hold back. Uh, number one thing, audition for absolutely everything you possibly can. And that is a, uh, a piece of advice from Michael Caine. If you ever read his acting book, it's actually really good. Um, so audition for everything you can, whether it's a student film, whether it is, even if you're like, I am not right for this, audition for it. Just 
audition for it because you will develop those muscles and those skills and all of that technique that you're going to need for it. Okay. Um, so where was I going to go with that next? But yeah, go ahead. And just, just don't hold back. The main thing, this is a big thing, and it's kind of a controversy among some casting philosophies. Um, I will say our office, we don't give a shit if you get every word right. I don't care. I don't care. If you are, uh, uh, because... It happens. Life happens. Nerves happen. Auditions happen. When you are in the moment and you don't get a word right, I don't care at all. What I'm looking for is an authentic moment. If you can deliver an authentic moment within that piece, that is what propels you forward. That is what's going to get you to the next level, to the callback and whatever. So just focus on that. Know the lines, know the script, know the beats, know the character, know the moment before the moment, but don't get so hung up on getting every single word right in the exact sequence that it throws you off for delivering and being in your moment and being present. So there's that. But yeah, I don't know if I answered that. I have no you, idea. you did no I, I i love that it's all especially the last one i think people just freak out over oh i didn't i didn't use the comma oh yeah that's okay <laughs> that's really? fine calm down yeah. <laughs> no that's that's all incredibly pertinent and and with that i wanted to see i know right now we have the wga uh i don't know what's gonna happen with sag today i guess i'll find out in the next yeah like three-ish hours but is there yeah, anything i'm I getting could... all my emails from sag saying ah yeah. <laughs> button down the hatches it's gonna get messy um is, is there anything i can give a shout out to or promote it doesn't have to be something industry related it could be like a, a charity or an organization it could be a playhouse you know oh a lot of things so yeah so <laughs> um so so uh okay well miners alley um, Playhouse is is my theater home. Um, there are amazing. There, I don't want to just single them out because, to be perfectly honest, there are some really fantastic theaters in Denver, really fantastic theaters, and they aren't. The DCPA is absolutely one, and Arvada Center are is absolutely one, but they aren't the only ones. There are so many incredible theaters in this town and outside of the town, like Longmont and the Bob Blue up in Fort Collins. And I mean, there are all these amazing theaters around here that really deserve our love and attention. Um, I know I just saw, this was a little heartbreaking. I just saw today, Cherry Creek Theater. Um, they're having to do a fundraiser, even though they have like had their record year for sales and Henry nominations and all that kind of stuff. They're having to do a fundraiser because they just don't have the funding right now. So wow. support local theater across the board. That's one. I'm doing a Christmas story again this year at Miner's Alley. Yeah. So yeah, that will be starting the sometime in November and running through probably uh, the 23rd of December is what we did last year. So yeah, I'm doing that again with Damon Grazio, who I love, and Colleen Lee and Tim Fishbaugh, and directed by Rory Pierce. And they're probably going to uh, recast a lot of the kids because kids grow up. But last year, my little boy got to do it with me. He played Flick, and that was awesome. Um, 
So that's coming up. And like I said, another script prov in Durango. That one's on the 28th and 29th. And we're trying to bring a script prov to Albuquerque at some point, which would be really fun. Um, and uh, yeah. You're not busy at all. You haven't. It's been a slow year for you. You haven't really done a whole lot. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I, I gotta, I got we got one more thing before I, I yeah. wrap this up here, but that I just, I had so much fun chatting. I haven't had a chance to like actually sit down with you and I like know. have a talk and learn know, more about you. You are so wonderful. <laughs> I just adore you. I think you're a magic human being and I, okay. Okay. Shout out to you, baby boy. I'm going to shout out to you. So you, my dear, deliver every single time. I, I cannot tell you, I cannot stress this enough. You absolutely deliver every single time. And here's a couple of reasons why you deliver. One, I see you put in the work. I see you put in the work. Two, your, the choices you make in your self-tape are magnificent. Magnificent magnificent like i love that there's this there's this thing in acting and it's called the universal approach right and so we know that most people are going to go in that direction but what i love is that you take that universal approach and you just tilt it on its head just enough to make sure that yours is different that your performance is a unbelievably present really present and be uniquely you. And that's what casting people are looking for, truly. Being present, tilting it just enough to make it unique to who you are and knowing the craft as well as you know it because you it is so apparent. Every time I watch your tape, I'm like, did it again. <laughs> he did it again. You are in incredible and i am so excited to see you do things because I, I i always look forward to your self types every single time thank you that you're gonna make me cry no, <laughs> it's true. so much but as as a, a self-deprecating performer i'm gonna say <laughs> oh she's lying uh <laughs> no you're that's casting people if you have not seen tyler yet select him bring him in He's wonderful. He's magnificent. Oh love my him. God. You're such a sweetheart. No, I, I love you. And that's, that's like, I've wanted to have you on since I had Sylvia on. I wanted to get both of you on at the same time, I love but her. things just didn't work out. But she, yeah, she's, hopefully we can get a casting thing together in the future. But I, I just wanted to sit down and, and hear more about you. Cause I feel like I, I knew you, but only a certain side. And there was a question we had in here about like party stories, but you had five or six in your interview. So <laughs> Like I'm, I'm gonna savor them. <laughs> when we have you back, I'll be like, okay. Let's. Uh, what's the other story? Because I know you have like ten other ones in the little little treasure oh, chest here. So my my life is so wacky. My it's my my sweet husband. The other day, he was he was kind of um, joking around with me. He goes, "Yeah, sometimes you have more brave than you do brain." And I was fair, fair assessment. <laughs> hey, you're you're living. You're you're a living person. You've experienced things. Yeah, I'm it, the one that will jump off the cliff. Yep. Well, you had to have seen Wayne's World, right? Oh, uh, 
That was the reason why I was going to the Saturday Night Live parties was Wayne's World 2. Yes. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> yes, because Howard Hodge Jr. was the producer on both of yeah. those films. Well, that's going to come full circle because the end of this show is what I like to call an awkward goodbye. So what I'll do is I'll do a silent three, two, one countdown. And when I point, give us your best verbal and visual awkward goodbye in lieu of when Wayne leaves Garth in the first movie on stage and Garth is scared out of his mind and doesn't know what he's doing. And it's kind of muttering to himself. So if you're ready for that, I'm going to, I'm going to count you down. Here we go. In. Yeah. <laughs>